85 local evangelical churches have joined together in the Medon Crisis Fund. They serve their communities by distributing food to the needy, renovating damaged homes and churches, replacing appliances lost in the blast, and securing medicine for people who could no longer access their health providers. This practical help has allowed believers to form deep relationships with people in hard-hit communities and has brought about a miraculous harvest of faith. In less than a year, over 350 people have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. 700 people have entered into regular discipleship relationships. Over 3,000 Bibles have been distributed and more are being passed out every day. The work is just beginning. This gospel-centered initiative started as a short-term crisis response, but it is growing to focus on long-term recovery and development. The Middle East Center for World Missions has already started training over 40 local believers through internships in tech, design, media, and discipleship. And the Lebanon Crisis Fund will enable it to offer even more internships and launch missional businesses. The Lebanon Crisis Fund has also enabled Horizons to purchase our first piece of farmland, which will provide a base for a missional community, employment for local believers. Wow, what a, a rousing introduction at an opening few minutes here in our class. Uh, there are so many things I would like to say in response to everything that has been said, but I, I will uh, refrain from doing too much. I, I, wanna do, I want to respond to what Rick said in, in terms of interpretation. There has always been literal interpretation. You know, we always use literal interpretation. Whenever we talk to one another, we're using literal interpretation. Uh, unless somebody's not quite right in the mind, usually you know that's the way people communicate. In the early church, literal interpretation was predominant for the first two or three hundred years. Although in the Greek world, allegorism, uh, um, allegory, thank you, was prevalent, and Philo uh, and Josephus, but mostly Philo would try to wed allegory with biblical truth. And it doesn't work very well, but people have tried to do that. So uh, so there, there were both strains, literal and allegory uh, interpretation going on in the early church. Um, Philo wrote in the first century, okay? So he, was, he would be contemporary with the uh, apostles. Yes. Yes, there's been a wonderful increase in literal interpretation in the last two or three hundred years, and we're, we're glad for that. I, I think I've mentioned this book to you, but if not, I thought I would bring it. It's called, it's entitled The End, and it's written by Mark Hitchcock, who is a pastor in um, southern Oklahoma and he's also a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And Dr. Hitchcock has, wrote, has written a wonderful book on the end times. He's, uh, this is not the only book he's written. There are, I think, uh, a couple of other books. But if, if you want to get kind of an overview of eschatology and the book of Revelation, this would be one good resource for you. Author is Horowitz? Hitchcock. Uh, Hitchcock. 
Okay. Yes. Uh, it's interesting to me that even we, we're all we're often uh, reminded of the uh, problems in the Catholic Church of interpretation, but uh, Martin Luther was a good Catholic himself, and he was promoting pro a proper uh, interpretation of the Scripture, as probably were many Catholic priests uh, in years past that we never hear of. So there, God has always had people to believe His word, uh, even in the days when Catholicism was running rampant over correct theology. Wasn't our music ministry? in the, the music service today, just wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the church is one foundation and protect us from heresies within. Wow. And schisms, um, and schisms. yes, yes. Okay, wonderful. Um, thank you for participation. Wow. All right, I believe we ended here. I was talking about distinguishing marks of the Hebrew prophet. Uh, to be a prophet is, is to be someone who prays says Lundbaum. Um, in his capacity as divine messenger, the prophet brings messages back to Yahweh, which we call prayers. And by the way, my wife encourages me from time to time to say something. Um, and one of the things she's said to me is, you might let the people know that we're talking about eschatology so that we can get to Revelation. And the, the more we understand <laughs> eschatology, the better we're going to appreciate Revelation. So a high five to my wife. And uh, so hang with me as we work through this material, because I really do think having a good background in eschatology helps us to appreciate and understand uh, the book of Revelation. Um, certain prophets are remembered for being particularly effective in their intercessory prayers. So we might think of Moses. Uh, chapter 32 of Exodus is one of those uh, eminent chapters that we want to be very familiar with. Uh, Samuel, for Samuel 12, Jeremiah 15, uh, we have these two people um, described to us as mediators in Israel. Elijah, a mighty man of prayer, says James. The other great mediator and man of prayer is Jeremiah. And interestingly, Jeremiah not only involves himself with prayer for his people, and remember, Jeremiah lived through the exile of the southern kingdom. He was a prophet beforehand and during, and was even taken against his will to Egypt um, after the assassination of the Babylonian uh, instituted uh, monarch, well not monarch, but uh, governor of Israel. And um, so he, you know, he had, uh, he had the unfortunate, I, we might say, ministry of seeing his country go into exile and the destruction of Jerusalem and, and so forth. The mass murder, um, the enslavement, uh, the stealing, uh, the desecration, the destruction, all of those things that went with the downfall of Jerusalem and the other cities. In his confessions to God, he pours out, as no other prophet does, his own hurts and the hurts of his people. It must have come as a shock to Jeremiah when Yahweh told him to pray no longer. And he did that 
several times. Look at those references. God actually tells Jeremiah to not pray for his people. And the reason was because God had decided to bring judgment. You will not change my mind, God was telling his prophet. You will not change my mind about uh, the, the judgment that our people deserve. Did you say that God told Jeremiah not to pray? Yes. Told the people not to pray. God told Jeremiah not to pray. Okay, very good. So let's, thank you, let's just look at those passages. So Jeremiah 7. As for you, God talking to Jeremiah, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. Do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Turn to chapter 11. Therefore, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile things? Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exult? Wow. Um, Jeremiah, uh, I, I believe I've told you this. I like to listen to the scriptures on CD and a number of years ago, as I was commuting to seminary, I would uh, obviously list, uh, listen to the scriptures as I was traveling from uh, Rowlett down to Dallas. And I put in Jeremiah, and I almost came out of my seat. Uh, he's such a strong prophet. I mean, I love Isaiah. I think I think Isaiah is the flagship of the prophets. Um, but Jeremiah... Uh, is so confrontational. There are a number of places where he deals confrontationally with false prophets. Um, so when you're not uh, weak in spirit and faint of heart, read Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> Was he not referred to as a weak prophet? Yes, yes, because he, he does. He sheds tears over his people. I'm not quite sure why Lundbom does not include Habakkuk, because Habakkuk has a whole chapter of his prayer. All right, let's get to some application. Are you and I ever justified in not praying for our fellow man? God told Jeremiah, don't pray for your people, but how about you and me? Are we not always to pray for our family members, our co-workers, people of other religions, other races, our enemies, even our persecutors? Are we not told to pray for our persecutors? You bet. And even as we pray for the leaders of our nation, let's pray for their salvation. Okay, there are three Hebrew words uh, used for prophets in the Hebrew scriptures. Navi, Ro'eh, and Hosea. And they're all found in 1 Chronicles 29. Turn there. 
if if you're a linguist, First uh, Chronicles 29:29 is is a verse for you. Especially if you like prophecy. Uh, let me start reading at verse 26. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David from the first to the last are written in the chronicles of Samuel, the seer, and in the chronicles of Nathan, the prophet, and in the chronicles of Gad, the seer, with accounts of all his rule and his might and of the circumstances that came upon him and upon Israel and upon all the kingdoms of the countries. So we see this particular verse has all three uh, titles or words used <coughs> for prophets. Uh, Ro'eh uh, is from the verb ra'ah, to see, literally to see, to behold, to look. And uh, it's a noun, it's in a participial uh, form here, and in that participle, a participial form, it's a noun, serving as a noun, meaning one who sees or perceives. Navi is more of the traditional word for prophet. Um, the Old Testament is broken up into three categories. The Torah, the law, uh, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings. Okay, so the, the Navi, or the Nevi'im, uh, would be the plural form, the prophets. And then we have Hotza, which is also from a verb that means to see or to behold, to perceive, and again, it's used in a number of different places. Brown Driver and Brig, uh, Briggs uh, lexicon here for the source. A phrase used in the Bible for a prophetic figure is a man of God. So when someone is faithful to the source of the word, he becomes a man of the God who's the source of the word. A prophet is one who speaks God's word, typically to God's people, and he then is recognized to be a man of God because he's speaking in behalf of God. Notice, Moses was called a man of God. Elijah, Elisha, Samuel, David, Shemaiah, Igdaliah, and some of these people we are not familiar with. Um, Igdaliah, I, I looked up Jeremiah 35. I thought, okay, I, I need to remember who this person is. He had um, a storage room in the temple, and he was... Uh, given the title a man of God there are some people whose names are not given to us but are called men of God you and I may be unknown to other people but God knows our heart and our families and our co-workers and our friends know us and they may well call you a man of or a woman of God, even if your name doesn't appear. A Hebrew prophet serves as a mediator often through prayer. So Moses did. 
Samuel did, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk. We've seen some of those already. Okay, now, last week, Georgina brought up the concept, hey, wasn't there a test for a prophet? Yes, thank you. So a true prophet never used divination, sorcery, or astrology. The source of the prophet's message was God himself. And let's turn there to 2 Peter 1. Look at, let's start at verse 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I'm reading from the ESV. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, and that probably could be better rendered origination. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own origination. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The true prophet never catered catered his message to the desires of the people. And in 1 Kings 22, we've got this long narrative about Micaiah. Remember the story? And uh, the king of Israel and the king of Judah were together. And um, I I believe uh, Ahab was the king of Israel. And the king of, uh, of Judah said, yeah, I'll go with you. My people will be your people. My horses, your horses. We'll go into battle and so forth. And the king of Judah says, well, Wonderful. Uh, Is there a prophet of the Lord around? Can we hear from the prophet of the Lord? And Ahab had all his prophets come in. They were all false prophets. And they all said, yeah, go. The Lord's going to be with you. You'll you'll enjoy great success and all of that. And um, the the, uh, king of the south said, well, is there a prophet of the Lord? And Micaiah was called. And he was briefed on his way to the kings and uh, the messenger told Micaiah now everybody else is saying positive things here so follow suit you know uh, make the kings happy you know uh, and all of that Micaiah said I'll say what the Lord tells me to say and he does and in fact he says to the king of, of Israel you'll not come back from this battle and he says if you come back from this battle God hasn't spoken by me but if he's spoken by me you're not coming back because that's what he told me to tell you and he doesn't come back from the battle he dies um, the true prophet never catered his message to the desires of the people The true prophet maintained personal integrity 
we could, again, we, we could look at, at the uh, narrative on Micaiah, but look, Isaiah 28, Jeremiah 23, Hosea 9. Turn to Micah 3. We've looked at this passage briefly. I want to do it again. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah 3. Let's start reading at verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. If you're on the take, okay. Uh, I'm on the take. I'll tell you what you want to hear. If I'm not on the take, that's, that's a false prophet. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But Micah says, but as for me, I am filled with power and with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in our midst? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. A true prophet maintains personal integrity in spite of even the whole leadership uh, having defected to greed. Hmm. Is there a prophet who survived their prophecy? In other words, um, they're saying they're predicting doom and gloom, so did the people kill them? Did anyone survive? Yes. Yes. Interestingly, as we read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah will have these confrontations with false prophets. He tells one of them, you're, you're going to die before the end of the year. He dies before the end of the year. Um, uh, many of them in, in the fall of Jerusalem were killed. I, I don't know that I'm answering your question, though. Am I answering your question? Uh, I know the yeah. way it's phrased is, since they went against the grain. Oh, Yes, yes, some of them, some of them were executed, most definitely, yes, yeah. Jeremiah survived to see his doom. Yes, yes. So the true prophet was willing to suffer for the sake of his message. And Jesus was, wasn't he? The true prophet announced a message that was consistent with the law and the messages of other true prophets. Hear, hear. The true prophet, when predicting future events, has a 100% success rate. 
And you know, one of the things we'll want to judge John by and the revelation given to John, does it accord with the true prophets of the scriptures, with what Jesus said, with what Paul said, um, with Isaiah, with Ezekiel, with Daniel? You know, how does the revelation given to John compare to them? Excuse me. Uh, it seems to me for a I know that common sense, and using the term loosely, if you see this history, if you see this this track record for prophets, it would should alert us and and warn us that let's pay attention to this. Yes, and I, I believe Hitchcock even in his book has a section on the fulfilled prophets, uh, prophecies of the prophets. Yeah. And then also uh, the fulfilled prophecies about the life of Christ. And so many have already been fulfilled, were fulfilled in his first coming. So we can expect those about his second coming to likewise be fulfilled. Friend? Uh, also with respect to number six, there are many people in the modern day who claim to be true prophets yeah. and what they predicted did not come true they would have been stoned according to Moses, Moses' law. But what would be our attitude toward people today whose prophecies don't come true? We don't stone them, but what should be our um, action toward them? Okay, class, how, how, how do we answer that question? <laughs> we take the air out of their tires in the parking lot. <laughs> Oh, I'm just thinking it, it's like the clairvoyant person uh, who said uh, uh, out uh, because of unforeseen circumstances, you know, uh, the, the palm reader, the tarot card reader, uh, all of, you know, why are they unforeseen? If this person can see the future, you know why, you know why would that person put that kind of an excuse on on his or her door? Um, so so how do we deal? How do we deal with people who claim to be prophets today? Well, I, somebody said, don't listen to them. You know, stay away from them. There, if you've got the spirit of God and are able to, on a personal level, and you have that person's ear then it would be obviously our opportunity, your opportunity, to go to the person and say, man, do you understand the seriousness of what you're saying um, and how accountable you are? Uh, and, and even like the passage we read from Peter, it, prophecy doesn't come from ourselves. If it is, if, it, if it's sourced in, in us, it's not true prophecy. It has to be from God. There, there are, uh, you know, in the scriptures there are dual authors, the spirit of God and the prophet that wrote. Same thing is true for for modern prophecy. Yes. Well, I, I I've always taken the stance of from from Romans, uh, keep, uh, from 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissension, and and actually, I don't want to use the word hound them, but wherever they opened up, say, hey. This person, why are we paying attention, paying attention to this? 
do not come and teach my people, you know, that kind of yes. more uh, active. Yes. Thing. And people, uh, unfortunately, people in ministry can make a pretty good living yeah. um, claiming to know more than what the Bible says about things. Yes. Personally, I would say challenge them in a loving way to um, give more factual of what they're saying and listen to what they're saying and make them listen to what they're saying and have an open heart with them to say, hey, have you really thought about this? Let's look at this and let's talk, discuss it. Um, some people that are false prophets will just shoo you away. But you have that opportunity to challenge what they're saying in a loving way. And I think we, thank you, Cynthia, we have to be discerning. And in our discernment, we're trying to decide, is this person speaking with divine authority or with self-proclaimed authority, self-assumed authority? And um, the person that is not speaking from God does not have divine power. And that's why we always read the scriptures. That's why we preach from the scriptures and we teach from the scriptures because we want the power of God that's invested in the word to work within us and to work within the people um, that listen to us. Okay, let's talk about purposeful prophetic human history. Do you like the alliteration there? It's tough to, to it's tough to pronounce. Purposeful prophetic human history. Hebraic prophecy by divine inspiration is revelatory. It's historical. It's eventful, and it may be predictive. It does not arise from human speculation, human superstition, or philosophical reasoning. Divine prophecy and providence. Oh boy, isn't that wonderful? Watch this. Divine prophecy and providence run side by side in the Hebrew scriptures. So God superintends history. He also speaks in history. So as he's speaking and predicting, he's also superintending. And he's making things work out the way that he says. Old Testament history is not just history, but history that is purposeful. And that purpose is redemptive. With one voice, the prophets declare that this purpose toward which all history is being directed is the establishment of the kingdom of God, the sovereign reign and rule of God upon earth. Notice what the prophet Zechariah says. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. Now that's a prophetic marker. Um, that phrase, in that day, or days are coming, there are a number of prophetic markers that, that the prophets use to refer to the end times. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name, the only one. Okay, let's keep reading. Turn to me and be saved, all ends of the earth, for I am God, there's no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me, this is Isaiah, we know this from Philippians, but Isaiah says, to me, the Lord is speaking, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. 
They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Another passage. It will come about in the last days. There's one of those prophetic markers, the last days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the prophets were covenant enforcement mediators. Hmm. Covenant enforcement mediators of the Mosaic Covenant, calling the people back into covenant relationship with God. Their task was to remind the people of God the meaning of being the people of God. They pled repeatedly for a change of heart, mind, and ways. They interpreted the covenants made with Abraham, Moses, and David, and became the recipients of the promises of the new covenant. Okay, let's end with Micah 6, 8. You know this verse. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's told you, old man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That's a prophet calling the people back to the Mosaic Covenant. We'll we'll talk more about this. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the great repository you've made of divine truth and it not only is truth uh, it tells us your intention it gives us your plan and your program you have revealed what you will do on earth in the end times thank you father for it we uh, we are richly uh, richly uh, rewarded for for reading it and studying it even as um, The introduction of the revelation tells us, he who reads, blessed is he who reads and those who hear and heed the things that are in the book. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.